Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Let's go back to 2011 with Squidge. Let's look at the World Cup again with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective podcast. Very much the, I would say, the Toby Flood of rugby podcasts. As in, what makes you say that? People are wondering why it's happening in 2021. Um, nice. We are joined as That's I'm Robbie or Squidge or whatever you want to say, call me. Uh, and we are joined as ever by Willow in some other guy. <laughs> and today's game will be England against France from the quarterfinal. And when we were at the very start of talking about this podcast, drawing up who a potential good guest might be for what games, I think literally the first person that we said would be perfect for a particular game was the the man joining us today, Mr. Lee Calvert of the Blood and Mud podcast, who I I can't tell you why I thought you'd be perfect for seeing England embarrass (laughs) themselves against France in a quarterfinal, the Martin Johnson era, but it just felt right. Yes, do what, how are you doing, first of all? Thank you for the invite and, and the long, the long, you've come off a long run up this, hasn't it? Yeah. You did tell yeah. me a while ago you'd do it. So yeah, I've been able to brace myself for the fact <laughs> it's that you're probably coming gonna, up on a year, right? Something like that, I think. But you can, you know, you can't, listeners can't see me, but I, I imagine you'll just be sort of laughing and pointing at me for the next hour or so as I do my best to try and talk through this game. <laughs> I had to watch it again. That's the first thing I'm upset about. So you've got all that pent up to come out. So There was, of course, the dilemma. In fact, we are talking about the World Cup Aled Brew played in and we still asked you to do this game. Well, yeah, that's true. That is true. You know what? Surprising players involved in this World Cup is a theme that uh, will come up in this episode as well. I mean, I know there's lots of surprising players in the Johnson episode, but uh, in the Johnson era even. But even I was surprised when I looked at the squads again. Go, Gee, really? But we'll get onto that later on. I'm sure. We're. But How thank was... you, and nice to be here. No, no, thank you for doing it. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. How was your experience of going back to this game ten years on? Presumably, having not thought about it much in the intervening <laughs> ten years. I will be honest. It was better than I remembered it mm. being. In my mind, I thought it was a terrible game. In that, because the result was kind of terrible, I suppose for me, but. It was a better game than I remember. That's the first thing. The other thing is I had to find it on YouTube. It was in one of those 15-minute clip mm, type scenarios of off Maori TV. Yes, so, that was, uh, I watched the exact same one as you, you did. It? I and... mean, how awful was Gavin Hastings throughout the entirety of this game as the, as, as the colour commentator? I think the, the worst thing about that is that he was the best of that commentary trio. That's the other thing, yeah. There's, <laughs> so Ben Fodden playing fullback for England, yes. <laughs> for starters. And what sounded like Mark <laughs> like the on version. the left wing. This is, it. this is the pro-evo versions where they haven't got the licences. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for starters, while we're here, they said that Haskell was a standout uh, coming from the bench. They said they're really looking forward to seeing him come on. And they said, hopefully we get to see a lot of Banahan just because he's big, I guess. But yeah. um, When Banahan did come on, they were astounded at the sheer height of him. Yeah. Because they'd never seen a professional rugby player before. And they were so excited. 
for him to get the ball. And uh, yeah, as I say, that they, they were calling Mark Kuwaito Mark Kuto all game. Yeah. And as I'm pretty sure someone said Q-tip at some point. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure he'd make a handy winger, but Mark Kuwaito, I thought, given what happened in the last World Cup, would be a name that you'd remember. You'd think so. And also, I'm assuming they're just astounded to wanting Banahan to get the ball so they could wonder how slow a person takes to get up to full speed. And I'm <laughs> guessing that's it was, that was what they were really wondering about. Although, again... Uh, don't no spoilers, but mm. I was pleasantly surprised by that my memory probably failed me again about his performances. So anyway, so it probably wasn't as bad as I thought, although it is as bad as I thought. So we'll get into that later. Because anyway. <laughs> it's England are better than I thought they were watching it back, and I think for five minutes they genuinely play quite well, and yeah. that threw me off entirely. And I did wonder if I'd clicked on the right game. I think what I learned from watching the game really is. Again, we'll get into the details. I mean, they were, mm. they were second best on the day by quite a distance in the mm. score. But what I did find out watching, I was thinking, this is better than the team that got to the final four years ago. Mm. And this team's not very good in 2011. So imagine <laughs> no. how bad that team was against the final in 2007. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you may go back and do that episode, but mm. I think that was before you were born in 2007. Yeah. By the way, by the way, <laughs> I was um, two. Are you available to, to help us on the 2007 one? It'll probably be about four years before we do it. But if you <laughs> yeah. want to appear on an episode, then... Toby Flood still weren't retired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can do the South Africa group game. I was about that. That'd be a fucking joy. <laughs> Lawrence, go through Don't that one again. When Andy um, Farrell had to do the kicking because everyone else was injured and yes. we didn't even get a kick in that game. That's how bad we were. Andy Farrell had no kick to even attempt. Was that 36-0, that yeah. one in the end? Yeah. It stands out. Like a Paul Saki on the wing. Strong, strong times. It's one of those things that you, as you were saying about, you look back and go, Paul Saki has like 15 caps. <laughs> that not only happened, that continued to happen. Yeah. There were some brilliant spider cam pictures from that. Sorry, we're not talking about our World Cup. There's some great spider cam pictures from that game of Paul Saki being stepped from above. You can see how, how awful his body position is as numerous people just go flying past him. Of course, he's got far more international caps than I'll ever have, but... Hmm. Who cares? <laughs> it's important to state on this podcast that we are all shit. Yeah, it's like, oh, yes. But we will, oh, that yeah. will not let us hold back from. Paul Saki about... might have more international caps than me, but I'm also not Paul Saki. So, <laughs> let's, you know, you win some, you lose some. Um, speaking of selections, um, I, when the, you know, at the start of the, I watched this with French commentary, which was a lot of fun. There's a wonderful moment of commentary on the French language version. Um, as as France won a scrum. And the reaction was so over the top that it was just a solid scrum by France. And I will, instead of just teasing it, this is <laughs> this is how it went. So <laughs> I then, after that, looked up the exact same moment on Marie TV's coverage... So this is what you two will have heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fair enough. And I enjoyed the contrast. I do think that one of the things that rugby commentary is missing nowadays is is I I I I I's. I do think yes. we do need a bit more of that. Yes, just, told. except for Sean Holly, who's constantly saying I. Um, I'm going to quickly find for you um, my favourite piece of commentary from the Maori TV bit. I think I've got it here, so bear with me. Back inside, and 
Freddie Mercury's happy. <laughs> He's singing a tune. I want to break free. We were rocky something along those lines. Oh. He has broken free. That's oh, exactly I... what France are doing there, Sorry. I had a moment of thinking they'd called Freddie Michelac Freddie Mercury. <laughs> they were calling Mark Lievremont Freddie Mercury because, because yeah, he has a moustache. We talk about Mark Lievremont's tash, by the way. Please. I mean, was, it, is it, was, no, was Movember a thing in 2011, or was he actually choosing to do that for non-charity reasons? I think he just did it. Because it was September, wasn't it? It was October, so I October. really hope it oh, wasn't right, Movember-related. Yeah. He's getting a head start in. Yeah. Usually the final's in November, isn't it, if at any time. Mm. But uh, yeah, so, yeah, it was just one of another... In a litany of baffling decisions that Mark Lievremont made, the tash was just probably the, the, the top hat that was on top of it already. At the time, he didn't notice. It was just another one. I'm also living for the fact that he could only think of We Will Rock You and I Want to Break Free, and then just couldn't think of any more Queen songs, so just quit while he was slightly behind, not massively. But I think the metaphor wasn't really going anywhere when he realised that the, the team that have just scored want to break free. <laughs> I began to mention the teams. Yes. And I laughed when I saw the teams come up at the beginning because I noticed Toby Flood was starting in the centre. So did Mike Tindall pull out before the game? That was, Mike, that was it, right? So Mike Tindall got injured in the previous game. Right. And okay. they it was a decision to start Toby Flood. They had other okay. choices. Yeah. So they picked the, the non-dwarf tossing centre. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's yeah, right. The, I mean, Gavin Hastings on Married TV had a lot of time for Toby Floods. Three times, I think he said he was today's man. <laughs> there was a lot of Isn't shade that... being thrown at Wilkinson, though, wasn't Loads. there? I mean, yeah. every time he today's kicked man, the ball. He needs to understand <laughs> Every time he kicked the ball, they were sort of doing it. Oh, they need to need to give it to Flood. You know, Flood will, will bring a lot more creativity to this England back line. And then when eventually they did put Flood at 10, every single time, and this is no exaggeration, every time Flood got the ball, he just ran perfectly straight into the French midfield. And Haranautiki was just twatting him. Yeah, and they kept and they kept explaining that that was brilliant because he was taking it to the line and making them <laughs> think. Yeah, Aronautic, making Aronautiki think how easy it was to tackle Toby Flood every time he had the ball. That's how much thinking he was doing. <laughs> I think the other most surprising thing about this England team is that there is the, se- the second row of the two most forgettable England players of the last 10 years, which are Lewis Deacon and Tom Palmer. Yeah, um, what t- story, right? 2011 oh. Six Nations. Well, in 2011, I had, I had the, the, uh, the blog Blood and Mud, obviously, mm. and I, I didn't like Lewis Deacon. And I made it obvious that I thought he was a terrible, terrible selection for England. Then O2 got in touch with me. Because I think for about five minutes in 2011, I might have been an influencer <laughs> for about five minutes. And they said, do you want to come to Twickenham to watch Italy versus England in our box and all that stuff? And I said, yeah, great. I was still, I was still drinking then. So got shit-faced on their dime, had food, all that kind of Perfect. stuff. And then they said, yeah, there's pl- then players come around at the end because it's hospitality to, to do a bit of Glenland and say hello. I was with my mate, and, and the guy we got was Lewis Deacon. He walked in with a PR. My mate goes, Lewis, do you read the internet at all about what people say about your performances and everything? I thought, I don't fucking believe this. Because obviously, you know, I didn't I didn't rate him as an international footballer, but I did rate his ability to squash my head with <laughs> one hand if he if he if he found out. Anyway, to be fair to him, he did that very deadpan Lewis Deacon thing, which he's still got now, hasn't he? When you see him on the coaching bench, he's went, No, I don't read anything like that. And that was it. Honestly, it was a terrible nomination to, to, to walk the hospitality suites, I'll be honest. But yeah, so um, 
So I did experience what it was like to have a ho- proper hospitality gig at a, at a, at a game. Mm, and, and you can understand why, why it goes to people's heads because it's wonderful. <laughs> Don't pay anything. You wait in hand and foot. You get a seat with foam on it. And, and you get to nearly get your head kicked in by Louis Deacon at the end. So they don't advertise that bit, do they? They don't tend to leave that on the packages. They don't say, you know, for an extra fifty grand, you can get your head kicked in by Louis Deacon. You know what? I've just so if thought... you write enough, you'll do it for free. Um, uh, Lee, sorry, we're going to just very, very briefly, just, Robbie, mm. just we'll, we'll stop recording this. Oh, sorry. Should okay. we? Should we? Should we offer? Um, should, should we offer? Um, <laughs> A, a, a Patreon feature where we can kick people's can, heads in. I'll level with you. I'm about four foot three. Okay. And I'm four four. I, I can work with that. I don't think I'm very good at, like I've, I've met some people uh, who okay. are our Patreons okay. and I've tried to kick their heads in. It didn't go very well. Okay. Uh, <laughs> are they still <laughs> Patreons? <laughs> some of them, you'd be very surprised what people are into. Okay. So a, Lee, you can reconnect with us now. We can come back. I mean, I'd be less worried if, if I'd said something bad about you and you two came in the room and you might find out, I'll be honest. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to throw too much shade. But We're also not mates with Simon Shaw. No. Well, yeah, I um, mean, that, the, that's to go back to that second row point, hmm. that was the kind of, your point, Will, that was almost a talismanic pairing of just how utterly, utterly ordinary the expectations of squad selection and performance were of this entire period, really, mm. because they were, well, just so crushingly, maybe just about competent most of the time. Like I got into the second half and I had to look up who was playing the second row for England because I couldn't believe they'd start Lewis Deacon in a World Cup quarterfinal. <laughs> he started all year. It was quite a settled yeah. team. They'd won the Six Nations this year, don't forget. Mm. And, and he'd settled on this that forward pack Fairly early in 2010, Johnson. He mixed the backs up quite a lot after because um, after 2010, that's when um, Dylan Armitage went. Mm. Queto stuck around, uh, but that's when they had. That's when Flood came in. Shantaine Harpe came in. Yeah, what, you know, what, what so names on. we're hearing here, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so on. Really, uh, it was Manu that. came in. Obviously, the, the mm. rise of the Manu was this year. Yeah. So. Oh, Ben Foden, Ben Fodden. Yeah, yeah. That was the coming thing. That Den Alarmitage was flirted and Ben Fodden came in, obviously. <laughs> ben Foden flirting is very unlike him, of so, course. So a point I'm trying to make is this wasn't forced upon him. No. It wasn't a rash of horrendous injuries just before the tournament or anything. This was this was what he thought was the best boiler house pairing but in the land. I think there's something of Lewis Deacon and Steve Warwick before him of players that reminded Martin Johnson of himself. Yeah. In that they were workmanlike and they weren't necessarily talented or, or freaks of nature, but they just got the job done. But the thing is, Martin Johnson was really, really good, and the players he was picking in his image, he was clearly very self deprecating in the players he was picking in his own image. <laughs> I mean, Deacon is, I mean, to be, Deacon was renowned for being like hard as nails in mm. the tight and stuff. You know, he had that going for him. But there's plenty of, you know, I played with second rowers who were hard as nails in the tight in Division 4 East in South Wales. You know, it's it's not um, it's not a recommendation, as you say, for World Cup course of final appearances, generally speaking. Yeah. Should we look at the French team? Yeah, I was going to suggest the exact same thing. Yeah. Okay. So, once again, France, Mark Lievremont, or Freddie Mercury, they might want to call him, <laughs> looked at the France game against the All Blacks, where they had Morgan Power at 10, and they got battered. And the game against Tonga, where they lost, and thought, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put Morgan Power at ten again. And um, 
it works decently. Don't get me wrong. Mm. I mean, Yashvili and Para, there is something there's, there. But there's this incredible thing that happens in the second half. To you know, spoilers for a moment. But <laughs> Francois Trandoux comes on what around like sixty-five minutes or something, sixty odd minutes, and plays like a fly half and kicks yeah. for the corners and actually acts and links the back line up and and again look, looks like a fly half and France clearly go god that worked didn't it like you know Francois trying to really works as an impact sub rather than going having a fly half works so they then leave Paro at 10 for the next two games assuming what happened only happened because he came off the bench yeah it's I, what I will say though it was it's a funny it's almost like he wanted Parrot in the team at all costs, really. Mm. But then you couldn't you couldn't ignore Yashvili, who is it was that I'd forgotten. It's good to be reminded what a decent player Yashvili was, I think. So good, yeah. So, so very good. And it's almost like, well, he has to play, but Parra's this wonderful, I mean, he's so French, I can't drop it. I mean, he's almost like a, a national representation of what French rugby is, Morgan Parra, isn't he? So he's like, I can't he's drop him. He's a French looking man as well. He looks so French. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd yeah. Be like without playing, playing without the chicken on the badge, you know, like they, yeah, they just wouldn't be the same. It's Morgan Power or it's Andre the Giant. One of them is playing ten. Take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> so, looking at the actual game, I suppose, um, unless you were you done with your point, Lee? Oh yeah, completely. Yeah, I'm not going to keep enough. going any point if you let me go. But you better, yeah, you better just leaving it. Yeah, I think the, the other thing of note about the teams actually go on. Uh, is England go for what what is nominally a five-two split way before Razi Erasmus is doing it. Uh, so A, you know, Martin Johnson, complete trendsetter of all of the people playing in that 1997 Springbok Lions tour. It wasn't Razi Erasmus who was setting this kind of precedent. It was Martin Johnson, clearly. He's clearly the best coach there. But the other thing is, you say it's a 5-2, but one of those is Matt Banahan. So oh, yeah. really, it's a six Wigglesworth split. I was going to say, I don't think Martin Johnson knew you were allowed to pick players under 18 stone on the bench. <laughs> no. Except for Richard Wigglesworth, which was yeah. the one exception in all yeah. cases. A um, big gooden beats a little gooden in Martin Johnson's yes. mind every time. <laughs> Even a slightly mediocre biggin beats a good litman in his there, mind, I think. There's also something in the fact that you had Ben Young's nippy youngster, you know, just come into the team as a exciting, young, dynamic scrum off. And on the bench for him is the more experienced, calmer head of Richard Wigglesworth, which is still the dynamic at Leicester. You've still got oh, Richard Wigglesworth coming off the bench. A decade over. later. Yeah. Amazing. Ten That's years like that. Now that Ben Young's has gone through, like there's something watching Ben Young's again in this game where, especially in the second half, he's so nippy and quick and dynamic and yeah. taking quick taps and bringing such pace to England. He does play well, to be fair. That, yeah. yeah, he plays really well, like especially the second half. Wait, there's a proper like you live long enough to see yourself become the villain thing to Ben Young's in this game. He'd come off the bench and won the game against Argentina, hadn't he? Mm, yes. Young, that was a yeah. kind of turning point, wasn't it? And yeah. that sort of bye-bye to... Danny Kerr started that game, I think, didn't he? Kerr okay, was Wigglesworth, yeah. All right, sorry. Yeah, then, okay. don't, no, don't apologise. You're in the. You're glad you didn't watch that game again. Yeah. Oh, yes. Hateful yeah. match. Yeah. Only every performance in this World Cup was something to endure rather than a game to... Honestly... Yeah. Like England had still somewhat underperformed against the likes of Georgia and Romania in the pool stage. And Ben Young's, for some of those games, was playing by himself and looked like the only player who was doing anything decent. I was gonna say that at the start of this game, it takes England about one minute to spread the ball wide and find Tuolangi in a load of space. At which point, you can it's a it's a textbook thing of seeing Chris Ashton with his arm in the air running a perfect support line, and you think if he gives it, Ashton is in. And Tuolangi just completely ignores him and runs into touch instead. Is it a minute after that where 
It was it chips it through after that, and Yashley Fodden, yeah, Fodden, Fodden, <laughs> and and Yashley does the most emphatic thunder twatting of a ball into touch I've ever seen in my life. He's covered in behind, and he hits it with his left peg. No, he doesn't break the advertising hoarding. He's about four <laughs> meters from the touchline. He absolutely twats it. It's incredible. Don't think it popped the ball. And because it's one of those where you go like, oh, that's a good option by phone. You know, you're Ashton chasing yeah. as well and everything. And then suddenly they're back in their own half, like in Twickenham. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah, for most of the rest of the half, effectively. Yeah. yeah. There's there's a few great moments, you know. Ben Young is feeding the ball to Tuolangi, and you think, oh, something might happen here, and it doesn't. Tuolangi doesn't pass. <laughs> then there's another point where Wilkinson looks like he's going to pass to Tuolangi, and he instead passes the touchline, setting a great example for Ben Young's eight years later. Yeah, that's that's sort of the turning point, isn't it? That's the yeah. Everything's going quite well for England, and then they have a line out five meters out that they lose. Uh, and tell you what, the French comedy they lost that line out. They lost, they lost the line out after the thunder twatting kick. Yeah, from Yashley. yeah. Two minutes in, two. Four meet five meters out from the French line, and they fucking lost the line out. And Morgan Perrin goes like, "Oh, I'll have this some of is this. the rest of your day, by the way. If you're English <laughs> yeah. like me, it's nine a.m. This is what you got up for." <laughs> and Para challenges Yashvili and goes, oh, "I can see how, how hard you can kick a ball. I'm going to do the same thing and just sends it miles into the English backfield." I think it's the moment Wilkinson throws that ball into touch. England mm. just go like, "Should we be shit now? Like that was, we, honestly, we tried being good. That was the best ten minutes of England's campaign." Yeah, by far. They scored zero points for mm. clarity. But the best ten minutes it was it was nice to look at, you know. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what do you know what the year two thousand eleven loved? It, it Moves loved, like Jagger? Yes. Boot cut jeans. Yes. And um mispass. Mm. And England fucking loved a mispass. Brian Smith's entire attacking strategy was try and throw a mispass in which they did in every single situation, even if it meant bouncing the ball off Mark Cueto's head repeatedly. That seemed to happen <laughs> quite a lot as well. But honestly, the number of... There was no actual... I think I saw two occasions where there was some shape on the back line. Other than that, it was just one big long line of players having a miss pass thrown across them for no apparent <laughs> there, reason. There's one point where England tries to do hands down the line and they can't even do that. They just throw it straight to Doucetois, who just <laughs> kind of comes in and like joins in as the 13. He's like, oui, oui, as I am, uh, I love- as I, you say, Tuolangi. There's one point where Ben Youngs takes a quick tap, goes through the French midfield and think, oh, okay, England are on for something here. And he spots Mark Coeto out wide and thinks, right, I'm going to get this, going to get this to him. And instead he skips him and goes straight to Ashton. And the ball is in the air for that long that I'm pretty sure two French slugs came and tripped him up. <laughs> it's not, there's another one after Youngs makes a bit of a break, uh, where they get right up to the try line. And um, this is, I think, maybe this is maybe the moment that made me laugh the most. No, actually, there's a few contenders. How many times um, did you voluntarily, involuntarily laugh watching this game? Because I was up to about four, <laughs> and I'm English, so you must have been just howling with laughter oh, the whole time. I, at least I, two occasions where I just kept either putting my hands, my head on my my hand on my forehead, or just just guffawing involuntarily. <laughs> it is tragedy plus time, isn't oh, it? It's incredible. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like there were there were noise complaints, you know. My my neighbour com- complained <laughs> several times. It was yeah, haven't heard since I watched the Yoan Uge tribute a few days earlier. It was the last time you heard noises that loud. Uh, <laughs> though we won't explain what those were. Yeah, no, there's there's a great moment, one of my favourite moments, where Youngs does really well. They get up to the try line. They go for a couple of phases, and then they have an overlap on the right. And instead, Youngs decides to go left 
where none of the players are interested. They're all kind of looking at the right this. where there's an overlap. And so he goes to throw the miss pass to Ashton, which, you know, makes some level of sense. You know, he's the top try scorer at this World Cup. He's You're back you know, to finish that. playing well. Yeah, exactly. He finishes everything, you know, scored those four tries against Italy <laughs> in the Six Nations, top tries on that tournament as well. <laughs> and then just Mark Cueto walks in between the ball and Ashton and it just hits him in the arm and gets knocked forward. It's, it's that- literally... <laughs> One of those things, like, you know when you walk past somebody in the street and you slightly get into their, their yeah, space, yeah. you go, oh, sorry, mate. It was literally like that. And he was kind of, is that the one where he, right about the end of the first half where he was retreating mm. backwards in yeah. between two players? It bounces off his arm. Then the ball comes all the way right. And Wilkinson goes to find, I think it's Ashton, and he throws it three foot over his head yeah. on the yeah. 39th minute. And he, he does, to be fair, he gets fingers on it, Ashton, but it flies, it, I don't know if it's Ashton, but whoever it was, yeah, it, it flies Ashton, through his Ashton, fingers yeah. anyway. Yeah. It's one of those where he has to do the full Ash Splash takeoff to try and catch the ball, yes. by which point he's crossing the advertising hoarding. Ash really just broke. <laughs> but yeah, so much of it. So, and we haven't even talked about the drop goal yet, which oh, I, I oh, yes. Last night, oh, so. yes. <laughs> I think, this... I think this is the moment. I think, Lee, we... I think this is your moment to describe this on it. Well. How would you? What have I written down? It Young's twenty fifth minute mm. phases work in the middle of the field. There's still quite a long way out. That's the first mm. thing. So what were we thinking of? It's what would you call it? A spiralized fart <laughs> of a pass from yeah from from Young that is intended for Wilkinson, but drops both short and wide. I think bounces to Flood, who then has this kind of cowpat foot attempt at a drop goal. Which, again, I just laughed out loud. Because, again, I've, it's been so long since I watched it. These things are like a revelation again. Yeah. And he thought, oh, 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 he's, he's going to try that. Oh, oh, my word. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> incredible. And, it, and when you see the bit from behind the goal, as, as Flood kicks it, he does a kind of 360-degree spin of frustration. Yeah. For the, the second it leaves his boots. <laughs> and the crowd will fucking hate him for it as well. <laughs> yeah. Favourite thing is then... Toby Flood turns the referee and complains. <laughs> like, what are you complaining about? <laughs> what, what could you possibly be hoping happens there? I used to play badminton quite a bit. And sometimes I'd smash the shuttlecock off the rim of my racket. And the first thing you do is look at your racket, isn't it? Yeah. As if there's something you know, fundamentally wrong with the design of your racket. He just thought, you think the ball was not regulation or something? Was he asking the ref to get his uh, his calipers out to measure the width of the ball or something? I thought the posts were going to be four foot to the left yes. and about two metres off the ground. Who's marked this pitch, ref? <laughs> I thought Apparently I'm 50 metres away and I thought I was inside the 22. <laughs> I thought you got points for missing the goal. <laughs> <laughs> That would that would elongate his career another fifteen years. There was another great point where um, Mor- I've got written in my notes: Morgan Parrot attempts a drop kick for absolutely no reason. <laughs> where and it's it's one of those great things that happened in twenty eleven that doesn't happen anymore. Where now teams have to be prepared for a drop goal. You know, you have to actually set up for it as though it's the right option. So. It's one of those things that if you're going to go for a drop goal and you don't have the confidence to tell your teammates about it, you probably shouldn't be going for a drop goal because they'll probably just say, no, no. But back in 2011, players could do that. They could just drop it onto their right foot and hope for the best. And Morgan Parra wouldn't listen to anybody saying no to him anyway. True. Oh, yeah. make absolutely no point whatsoever. 
and he, he probably consult with anybody about anything. I, I imagine he was saying, like, "No, it did land in the South Island, so it's fine." Yeah, <laughs> he's the only ten that doesn't consult with his backline at any time about what's what's going to happen next. Having said that, though, what is noticeable in the first half, second half slightly differently, but in the first half, how markedly better in every way France were. Yeah, yeah, well, particularly in the backline when they got. I know in the French way, but yeah. actually, it's not that they actually did have some properly some. Weirdly, for the Reavement period, which was like a just exercising chaos theory most of the time, they did actually look quite well drilled. Yeah, was that just me? I, did, I, I think there's probably something in the fact that it all goes to shit when Leavemont has a word with them at half time. And all falls apart. What did you say to them, Mark? Was it all Queen puns? Is that what the problem was? Listen, lad, you need to sail across the seven seas of Rye. Don't stop me now. A, so the French coverage, just as the teams are running out for the second half, they interview Mark Lievermont, and he looks miserable. He looks like his dog just got shot. Like he, his he defense, looks they on the brink of tears. Yeah. And it's just like, I, obviously, you know, my French is not great, and I couldn't understand a word he was saying because uh, it was in French. But I just, you did not get the vibe that they were 16 nil up at halftime in a World Cup quarterfinal at all. So I don't know if he just went in there when I'm just going to, just going to ruin your parties, take away, you know, all of the, the Coke and fizzy drinks you've been drinking, take away, you know, the, all the end of term stuff. Uh, but yeah, it seemed like he must've just gone in there and just ruined all of their atmosphere and vibes so that they only scored three points in the second half, despite being completely dominant the first. Do you yeah. want to have a look at the um, the tries they scored in the first <clears> half? <throat> so the first one, Power ran quite a nice little loop, sort of move around Mermoz. And then I'm pretty sure every single person in England missed a tackle on Vance on Clare. Like Do you remember honest, your tackle? Honestly, honestly that, that Ben Fodden tackle, <laughs> inverted commas, on, on, on Clare because he comes through, that was, a pro- that was the one I did the involuntary laugh the most. <laughs> Because how can how can a man turning in slow motion completely bamboozle you as an international fullback, Ben? And the most surprised person of all is Vance on Clare when he gets through. Yeah, it's like, oh he's... no, you should, I, should, I should have been nailed there. Yeah, this is a quarter final. Do Mother better. Of Christ, did that work? Oh my God, there's the line. You know. <laughs> and the best thing about it is then after Ben Foden misses the tackle, Chris Ashton just comes up and inadvertently clotheslines him. <laughs> The fact that Ashton accidentally... I don't know if it's accident. He tackles Foden instead of Van Sonclair. So as Foden's, you know, obviously missed the tackle, but he's getting back, he could yet scrag him and stop him just before the line. Ashton then runs in, grabs him, pulls him nails him, and throws him at the floor, and both of them go down, which is... That is the funniest moment of the game to me. That is the absolute yeah. highlight. Is Honestly, you can, you can laugh as much as you want. I lived through this. <laughs> I was only 35 years old. I, I was already getting to a middle-aged depression problem. And I had to sit through this. You were all right. You were like, I don't know, amoebas or something at that age. By that time, were you about four or something? But yeah, so yeah, I, oh, I, I was, I've I lived was... this twice. Yeah. <laughs> old enough to be depressed still. But yeah. um <laughs> And, you know, there's something in looking at that, the way France played in the second half, of Wales should beat them easily next week. So yeah. that won't be a problem. You know. It's particularly the scrum, you know, if Adam Jones stays on the pitch the whole time, they should have yeah. him at the scrum completely. But <laughs> I mean, the English scrum was shite. Yeah. For at least yeah. the first half an hour before they got them. Dan Cole was 24 at this time and looked 77. Yeah. He looked exactly the same. Yeah. That's a close-up of a Incredible. young Dan I think Cole. he came out of the womb looking like that. Amazing. <laughs> the beard and the receding hairline and the lot. 
I think the thing about Dan Cole, have you mm. ever seen somebody where you can predict what his accent and his voice is going to be as much just looking at him? <laughs> have you ever seen somebody else with that vibe? I don't think I've ever heard him speak, you know, in, all the t- in, the, in the 12 years he's been in professional rugby or thereabouts. I'm not sure I've actually heard him speak. Firstly, yet... well done in avoiding the thing of him and Joe Marler uh, in the last oh. World Cup being just, oh, yeah, they're no. so wacky and bancy. No, I, don't even know, I don't even know what that is, and I hate it already just from what <laughs> you've said. So. I would have got very angry about it, which therefore makes it okay in my eyes. <laughs> um, but there's the other thing, just on the, the scrum. So the other thing that's kind of typified this England team beyond being a bag of shit is their discipline, which is an even bigger bag of shit. Yeah. And like the... Even playing Steve Walsh rules, they're being penalised. Like even Steve oh. Walsh is blow like Steve Walsh blows his whistle twice in the first ten minutes, and both of them are to penalise England. I mean, it has to be said, I'm not one of those who, who has a go at the ref too much, mm. but he just refs entirely on vibes and the moon yeah. or something, doesn't he, Steve Walsh? Oh, he he throws tarot cards down to see if there's a penalty in the ref. I think he's got yeah. a spinning wheel, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah. The, uh, my my favourite part of uh, England's indiscipline was Lewis Deacon giving away probably the funniest penalty of the tournament so far. Oh. There's a point, France have made a bit of a break. And then instead of going wide, they think, right, let's let Nicola Mass pick up and just run into Steve Thompson. And he'll probably get nailed. And Lewis Deacon looks at this, coming back from an offside position, and just thinks, nah, I'm going to save Steve a job here. And just tackles him from an offside position. Makes no impact whatsoever. And frankly, Steve Thompson would have nailed him. And he just gets penalised in the most easy penalty you'll ever give. But the... So I saw that, and I have it written down in my notes as Matt Stevens because this was before I recognised that Lewis Deacon would ever play in a World Cup quarterfinal. <laughs> And I just went, who who else could that possibly be? Who had a similar haircut? Because it can't possibly be Lewis Deacon. I did have to check who it was. Is this Matt Stevens pre-Beak or post-Beak? It's the post-Beak era. Is this post-Beak? I couldn't remember. Yeah, 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 pre-Eno, (laughs) post-Beak. So, yeah, he he came back. And I think it was right after, actually. I think he'd come back like that summer. Was his But there's warm-ups for his first games back for England after... Yeah, um, he whatever he'd been doing in the break hadn't worked. <laughs> the way he was getting shoved around. I mean, Nicola Mass is a good scrubber, just to be fair. Mm. But, uh, maybe we do know. Maybe we know exactly what he. Yeah, was I was going to say. <laughs> typically, not good for scrummaging. Or it might be. I don't know. I, uh, I'm not one to say. Should we look at France's second try? Sure. Yeah. Before we move off that, just off the first try, well, just I think it is worth moving. It was. It was a lovely, lovely move mm, that yeah. put Clerk into the into the position he was in. The yeah. fact that five players that had a collective Keystone Cops meltdown shouldn't, you know, is by the by. But actually, it did. Cre- and France were doing that almost at will in the first yeah. half, running that sort of loop move. They just had more shape and more pattern. Yeah. And then England just came out again, one line miss pass, or throwing it into each other's faces, which seemed to keep happening as well. But yeah, go on. To the, but it's just worth pointing out that they did yeah. have just so know, much time as yeah. well. Like yeah. they just England put no pressure on them. They just kind of That's let them run whatever the, they're going to do. Because when Flood kicked that drop goal, everyone was running backwards away from the ball. Did you notice that? <laughs> I didn't. It's like, it's like it was a bomb or something. Like, watch it again. Run away! Oh my god, it's covered in dog shit or something. It was very, very strange. 
Sorry, second try, Will. That's well. that's okay. That's okay. I, I encourage these tangents. And frankly, the second try isn't nearly as funny as the first. Uh, I think it was probably funny for us when we watched it because it very much looked like Para throws this this really loopy ball over the top that I'm pretty sure anybody could have predicted it was going to Palace on the mm. wing. And they somehow don't shove him into touch before he's offloaded to Medar, who, who, who scores. Yeah. When you see it from the kind of spider cami angle, you realise how obvious the try was. Yeah. And you realize, there's then like four England players go in on Palisson and none of them notice Maydar is just stood there waiting. Yeah. And any one of them could have just waited half a second and they would have stopped the try. But no, no, they just go, you know, nice side burns. He can, he can sneak through. Was Ford the defensive coach of this tournament? Brian Smith was attack coach, wasn't he? And Ford was... Defence, I think. I, I think Bryce was assistant coach and ran the attack. Mike Ford's definitely there because in the coach's box, he's wearing a formal shirt in the first half and the second half he's wearing a T-shirt that looks like he bought it, you know, like a, outside a gig. He probably stripped off and showed them his guns at half-time or something to try and encourage <laughs> them to, to motivate to, them. To, to motivate them a little bit. But I have to say the defensive... I mean, France ran some nice patterns. Mm. But it didn't take much to discombobulate the entire England tackle line, did it? No. And not just on that foot, on that Clerk try. Everybody mm. just seemed to all run towards the touchline, regardless of where the ball was going. And then, like your point, Will, then not bothering to push people to touch when they got there. It was the strangest gambit I've ever seen <laughs> in terms of a defence, really. You know that clip of the three professional footballers playing against the 100 Japanese school Yes. <laughs> That's what England's defence is a bit like, that they all run to wherever the ball is and then one of them stands near the goal and they yeah. just hope for the best. That is an excellent analogy. I like that. Yeah. Um, so France go in 16-0 up at half-time. 16-0? Yeah. And, and, and they look good for it. And they look yeah. fine for it as well. This wasn't it, a kind of, oh, well, it just this had gone this way or that. No, that was absolutely right. Like, yes, really misses a kick, you know, 40-odd metres out, but still between the posts. And they missed the conversion on the part of the try. But it could have been further ahead, and it wouldn't yeah. have felt wrong. That would have felt accurate to the half. Yeah. I think France weren't incredible, don't get me wrong, but mm. England were playing badly enough that France probably should have, well, could have scored a few more penalties or whatever. Yeah. At the time of us watching this at home, we we probably found this hilarious. And I think by the time Meadow went over it, probably there probably was a lot of laughter. Despite what I was and I was I was going to ask you about this, Lee. So in 2011, sort of where were you? How do you remember this World Cup? Do you remember watching the game or anything? Vividly, because um, I was that weekend. I had I'm still friends with a lot of people I played rugby with at uni. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we decided to do that thing where we all get a big house in the Peak District. Oh, okay. And it was about 16 of us there. So friends, partners, kids, the lot mm. um, in the Peak, not, not far from your neck of the woods, I guess, is it? The Peak District, yeah, yeah. sort of. But I was at the Staffordshire side, the shit mm. side, you know what I mean? And then, <laughs> and then, uh, I wasn't going to say it, but... Yeah. One, I was, I've never been to the Peak District before mm. in my life, so I was very surprised at how... I, I don't know why I was surprised that a national park was beautiful, <laughs> But I was surprised it was beautiful. I think because of its proximity to Stoke. Yeah. I thought I mean, nothing I can be that beautiful if it's that close to Stoke. But I was wrong. It is. It's very beautiful. So anyway, so we're there. So long story short, I had about an hour's sleep because we'd got absolutely shit-faced on the Friday. And we'd very excited about not seeing each other for ages. Mm. 
up all night. I think I fell asleep on the couch for about 45 minutes for an hour. Then we were up because this was on early morning, as you said. So I'm sat there, hours sleep, absolutely hung over to shit. Most people there are English. It's all going this badly. The other thing I'm looking forward to is my mate worked for Coca-Cola's. So I got discount tickets to Alton Towers. Oh, wow. So I'm thinking, this game's going like this. I've had an hour's sleep. I want to throw up and or die and or sleep for a week. I'm having to watch another half of this. And then after that, I've got to take the kids to Walton fucking Towers on this level of sleep and this level of hangover. So that's where I was at halftime. And to be honest, if I'd have, given, if I'd have probably said that to them in the dressing room at halftime, they might have booked their ideas up, quite frankly. <laughs> Never mind George actually, Ford taking his top off and flexing. It George would make Ford? a lot of Mike Ford. Yeah, yeah. You do marginally George better Ford than sixteen-year-old like son. Around yeah, get, take your top flexing. off and get flexing for him. You're doing marginally better than Lewis Deacon. Then, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say that's largely what Lewis Moody had to say. That was where he was. Yeah, oh, but yeah. So it was. It was. Uh, it, oh, yeah. And my mate, who you know, some people with a hangover are really, really suffer. Mm. My mate just suffered, and he just kept sort of maniacally laughing every time England did something really terrible. So imagine it was just like a rolling maniacal laugh for him for most of this game. He's still going from that drop goal. Yeah, absolutely incredible stuff. Yeah. So and then and then Alton Towers for the rest of the day, which was I think probably my worst day out ever. <laughs> I was trying to get a load of my kids were eight and six at the time. There were other kids there. Mm. We were having to drag them round. I ended up on the log flume. It was just the worst, which is a bath in Alton Towers. Have you seen that? It's not actually no. a log. No. It's a bath. They're all baths huh. that you sit in. Wow. Horrific. Hmm. So I don't so, recommend it. So I'm glad, you know, I wish I was your age and at home like you were. <laughs> did you make it to full time then? Oh, I did make it to full time, but it was it was clearly, I think we, I, I remember knowing because there's that sort of, mid to late rally by England, isn't it? Which we'll come on to. Yeah. But I remember knowing this is absolutely fucking doomed. And even if it and even if it isn't, I was starting to think maybe we'll get to the final again despite being the worst team in the world, like we did in 2007. <laughs> but it just I just knew I thought actually it would be unseemly for us to go any further in this tournament. I mean your point before about how awful we've been in the group stages. I mean the Scotland the Argentina game, the Scotland game was like some kind of flash mob trying to describe malaise in dance it was just absolutely minging all of it all of it was just utterly awful and i kind of dreaded every weekend rolling around and to the point at which my kids were welsh and i was living in Wales at the time i thought i actually want england to get knocked out so i can maybe just claim wales for a couple of weeks you know it was that kind of it was just horrendous it really was horrendous but yeah, what? What, but watching it again, it didn't seem as bad as I remember. But that doesn't mean that it was good. I want to, I want to emphasise that it doesn't mean it was good either. We should have sent you to Walton Towers after you watched it this time <laughs> as should, well. Yeah, should, I should have relived the whole thing and gone to Walton Towers. I don't care. There is a lockdown. I've got research to do. Let me in. We'll pretend we to be your kids. <laughs> <laughs> Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We, we should have done an Alton Towers retrospective podcast. Yeah, on, that's true. Um, we have that lined up. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even like Fairground Rides myself. Mm. I, I'm, I'm not... <laughs> I don't watch horror films. I go on fairground rides. I've got no interest in that kind of things that grown-ups are into, really. No. Did you not? Because I... Okay, so I went to, when I was in Canada a few years ago, Canada's Wonderland, which is their equivalent of Alton Towers. And I just... I realise I must be old now because I just spent the whole day with a headache and that's my only memory of it, was just getting really dizzy and headachey. And did having a hangover combined with that not feel like, the, and England in the World Cup and having to watch all of that, not feel like just the worst thing? Was that not, was your head not bleeding internally as a result? It was, I just couldn't wait for the day to end so I could go to bed. I was living a nightmare anyway, so I wanted to go to sleep to have like the sweet release of just black sleep. <laughs> it was just, it was, it was absolutely unbelievable. And like there were massive queues in Elton Town. I mean, why do people queue up for three hours to have the shit scared out of them? I don't understand. You wouldn't queue up for three hours to go in a car crash, would you? I don't, I don't <laughs> understand why people do it. It's that kind of... I, never mind. I mean, we could get into the philosophy of roller coasters. <laughs> Let's do it. That's, that's another podcast coming soon. <laughs> that's the sort of thing Spotify would pay us for. You'd hope Wait. so. If not kicking people's heads in, the philosophy of roller coasters. That sounds like a Pink Floyd album. <laughs> That's in the Eno period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the second half, I have far less written on the second half because both teams are broadly shite. Yeah, yeah. me too. England, just... looked better, England looked better in the second half, and I know why, because of what you just said. The pennies just dropped. Why did England look better? Because France had to come way down, yeah. way down and equalise it all. Yeah. <laughs> that and the 16-year-old George Ford coming in and stripping for them, <laughs> doing a full Magic Mike routine, Magic Mike Ford routine in the changing room. Um, you do that for... then. Can't do it now, Robert. Can't <laughs> do it now. <laughs> Had dwarf tossing and underage dwarf tossing, underage flexing at halftime. Incredible stuff. <laughs> then jumping off a pier, you know, jumping off think, a boat into the river. Do you think that's what inspired James Haskell's OnlyFans? <laughs> I think um, that point around the dwarf tossing all that stuff, though. Mm. I mean, that's the other thing. Just the revolting stench that existed around this entire squad, as well, was mm. as well as the absolutely fetid performances, was just. It really was the worst of times. So you look at that squad and broadly speaking, almost everyone is, whether in an on-pitch persona or a general off-pitch everything, a cunt. Apart from Johnny Wilkinson, who was playing the worst rugby of his life, probably because he's surrounded by all of these Haskells, as we call it, uh, in order to pass. You know, it means the same thing, but it means we can pass PG ratings. I mean, Tom Palmer was largely unoffensive. That's Tom true. Croft That's had the true. Lions thing going for him. He was, most people liked him. Nick Easter was horrible. He was like a, a golf club bully. 
Oh, yeah. And I think I mentioned this on another episode recently, but now as a podcast where he discusses his sex life with Kieran Bracken. Oh, yeah, of course. Which is a horrendous... I, I powerfully film. wish I could go... I could unknow that. <laughs> what you've just said. So do I. I listened to, like, 20 minutes of an episode and was just astonished by what I was hearing. It 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 needs to be heard to be believed, and you don't want to believe it. No, that's that's. I I was very harsh on that England team. What I mean is, people didn't like Chris Ashton, even though I do. Yeah, sure. And it's amazing that even in this game, like Ashton was like on the lower end of the dickishness scale in this England team. Oh yeah. So, but, I mean, Ashton largely played very well, to be honest. Okay, well, he was no, he was at, he was at the right part of his good performance bellendery axis as i yes. coined it because it, as as he scored tries he was he was then that had dropped down and then the bellendry had increased mm. so actually he had quite he, he was he was at the, the kind of high point of his just playing well so people could put up with the other stuff i also like yeah. the fact that he brought a bit of character to be honest yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely it wasn't the usual shit oh, i i love chris ashton for the, all of it i love the whole package of the way he played and the way he handled himself I don't think it's who he is. I think he kind of, it spirals out when he's playing, you know, with yeah. his kind of confidence in that. Whereas someone like Haskell, yeah. you get it comes with enjoyment. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think he's just a bit daft. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and I don't mean thick. I mean, he's just a bit daft. Yeah. yeah he yeah. likes doing daft things. Yeah. It's part of who he is. And I think that's why I could never truly understand why people properly no. got quite viscerally angry about him. Yeah. But no, not at all. But the thing about this whole England team, and it's the same in the second half, is they seem kind of like, and I think it says something about the way they were managed, I think, because they seem sort of paralysed by their own sort of diffidence. And mm. It's like you don't really believe you can do this, do you? Any of you. No. Apart from maybe Chris Ashton and maybe Ben Foden. Yeah. Because Foden was quite new into it at this point. And he, you know, we'll come on to later on, he, he did a nice try, didn't he? But mm. yeah. He's well, um, we'll talk about that now if you want. Let's do that then, yeah. Yeah, on, then. yeah. I mean, it it kind of feels like England got into the twenty-two by accident. Well, it's it's Youngs being really sharp. Yeah, yeah. Because he it really was picks quick up, tap, up wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it kind of felt like nobody else really was keeping up with him that whole mm. way. And it kind of forced you forces Youngs to panic a little bit. But he, he's he's he was really composed at this point in his career, and I suppose he still is, you know. And as I said, it does slightly feel like by accident they've gone through some really, really good phases. And the phase that Ben Young scores, no, Ben Foden, Foden scores, mm. doesn't feel like that's that was the one, you know? Yeah. But it's a it's a lovely step by Foden. He takes the try really, really well. I mean, I must point out, I mean, the number of New Zealander names I must and, and Maori names I must have mangled in True. my time. I have to forgive yeah. uh, Maori TV for saying Foden, because Christ knows I've probably yeah. said Ronnie Soyoilo. Yeah. If they can stay to Toyo or Toyo or however it's pronounced, <laughs> yes, then yeah. I'm exactly a bit yeah, of a hypocrite. I all my hands up, yeah. It doesn't feel like that's going to be the moment they score. And you don't see anything in that set of phases that you think, oh, they're going to score from this, you know, you, you, if it was inevitable. And yeah. then just France's defence is, it's less like the Japanese school children and more like like some kids just walking home from the park. Because they're just sort of like in a gang, kind of like yeah. hobbling about. There's, it's not a line per se, and so Foden kind of has to step them as a as a group as they're all heading towards their bikes, and then just happens to cross. It feels almost accidental, you know. It feels like yeah. it feels like rugby breaking out in the middle of something else happening. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose not long after that they kind of think, well. 
if that's how we break down what's allegedly going to become a World Cup semi-final level defence, then we know what to do. Give it to Toby Flood. Get him to run perfectly straight. (laughs) And that happened. Other thing about the Ben Foden try uh, is this is his third try over this sort of period. And it is the first one where he doesn't do the the baby in the crib celebration. Oh, of course. Uh, Presumably because one of the other women he had pregnant saw it on TV uh, and found out. (laughs) Yep, that's that's entirely valid. How Um, old was Flood at this point? Flood? I I want to say 22. Um... Toby Flood. I reckon he'd been a bit more than twenty-two. I think he, he's about what he's 51 thirty-five now. now. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so, so about twenty-four, twenty-five then. Yeah. Yeah. Guess so. Wow. Was he only? Yeah. Yeah, he was only twenty-five. Right. Wow. Was he? And he was I... today's man, of course, as Gavin <laughs> established. Unlike Johnny, yesterday's man, <laughs> wandering around smoking, smoking a pipe. You know, what was he going to achieve? <laughs> what do we think about Johnny Wilkerson's performance in this game, actually? I mean, obviously, you're graded on a curve here, but what do you think mm. about... I think he was taking far too many pelters on on Mary TV I, than he deserved. He, in anything, he really seems to be trying to get something going. Yeah. I, Come. I think you dropped a component that could work on its own into a team where it didn't work at all. Yeah. Um, and I think we'd seen this England team, as you said, they won the Six Nations playing a very, very different brand of rugby to what they were doing when they put Wilkinson in at 10. And yeah. in those pool games against Romania and Georgia, where they had Flood at 10, they played like they did in the Six Nations and it slotted far better. And I yeah. think we end up this England team caught in two minds of Wilkinson wanting to play the 2003 game plan and then the others wanting to play the you know, the, the attack, more attack-minded stuff they've done in the Six Nations. And they kind of fell into this just nothingness. Yeah. Instead they he had were... a few moments, Wilkinson. Yeah, like, he yeah. put in a couple of great kicks, a couple of good passes, but, like, there was, one good there was that road. kick he put in out on the full, which was mm. quite disappointing. You know, there was, as I say, there was the passing to touch. There was that. There was a really good offload, actually, that it did to Nick Easter that nearly mm. set up... Well, it set yeah. up an opportunity for the Mark Waito. Um, I got excited <laughs> about that until I realised Nick Easter was carrying the ball. And I calmed down very quickly. <laughs> So there's there was a great point when uh, Ben Youngs picks up the ball slightly confused, but does brilliantly out, uh, like out of it. Draws in a couple of French players, sends Toby Flood for a bit of a gap, and then Toby Flood just kind of gets confused about oh what do I do when when you make a line break and just kind of starts carrying the ball in one hand like he's Leonie Nakarawa and just kind of flings it over his shoulder to Morgan Parra. Yes. Who then boots it back downfield and England end up back in their own 22. You know Paris spent all week working on his, his kind of, you know, Buckinghamshire accent in order to, to call for that <laughs> if the moment came. I think- Another, a, a great moment around then as well was uh, England have a line-out in their own 22. And it's it's a really unconventional strategy, but I guess it's effective. But Dylan Hartley, just the first thing he does when he gets on the field is he just th- overthrows the ball to Maxime Mermoz, who is randomly stood about 20 metres offside and obviously he'll get the penalty for it. Uh, and you think if he doesn't get away with that, he's conceding five points. But I think that's a positive level of shithousery from Dylan Hartley. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there could have been a point of order for Mermoz to say that obviously nobody should throw the ball like that into a lineup, so I can't be held accountable for the fact that I'm stood here because it should never come to me. What the hell is he thinking? But yeah, he caught him out, one and two. The, way, the England bench is a funny one, actually, because they, they emptied it pretty much from minute 50 onwards, didn't they? Yeah. Fairly quickly until, until 65, but a lot of it happened quite quickly. 
that seemed to make things a bit better for me. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm talking that there's better and there's better, isn't there? Sure. Seems to get a little bit more competitive. Yeah. Um, they, they make one change in particular. I think it's the first substitute they bring on. Who the they bring on a replacement second row, and the French commentators uh, refer to the player coming on as Courtney Love. <laughs> no. <laughs> Which I wish I'd recorded, but alas, that's, doesn't that's he look thin? By the way, yeah. Courtney yeah, Love's man tiny, he looks like he? really he undersized, doesn't he? Compared looks like to what, a different guy completely. Yeah. But obviously international level forward at the time. Of course. But yeah. And he's still he looks like the a kind of swimmer's build. Arms. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that. There's there's like a weird whiff of Gail Ficku about him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Shape-wise, yeah. To say there isn't now at all. But no, no, he's like really big now. But obviously yeah. I think that's, we're 10 years on in the conditioning world, aren't we? Aren't yeah, we? yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, he's been to the gym once or twice since then, I suppose. Yeah. I love yeah. that Speak- French pack, though. Speaking mm. of packs, that French pack oh. is... Is is lovely. William Servat looks younger now than he did then. Yeah, and he's yeah. running water bottles on. He somehow looks younger now than he did he, then. He's one of those players, who I think, just not being smashed around the gills every week's done him good. Yes, and I and I had a very long-standing deep love affair for Julian Bonaire. Absolutely, mm, yeah. he's him. brilliant. Oh, so what good a player. Yeah, and he had an unbelievable uh, group stage. He was like one of their only good players against Tonga when they lost. And he's just one of those really underrated players that whenever England did anything threatening, he would slow down the ball and organise. And that, obviously that whole back, re, back three with um, Dutatoire and Aaron Aldeke was immense. And when you see them bring on Louis Pickamore, you think, oh, it doesn't get any easier, does it? <laughs> it's one of those things that used to be a cliche, but as a seven, always on the shoulder, always there. No matter what happened, he was there to either clear out the next ruck really fast or take an offload. He's just, but he seemed to be everywhere. Yeah. I think yeah. he ended up playing lock under Sant'Andre, didn't he? He did. Yes. yes. Jesus Christ almighty. Honest to God. How to waste a player. My word. Yeah. And like this is after that back row had retired. So like, mm. they, it's not like it was to accommodate for Dusatoire or Aaron Aldeke. It was, no, we're just going to put, we're going to put the maybe the best ball carrying number eight in the world at the time. We'll just put him in the second row. <laughs> Who did play... Who right? Okay, who did play? Um, it would have been um, in the back row. Where uh, Lacafio or somebody like that, wouldn't it? So Julian like. Bonaire and Aaron Ordi both. Uh, oh man, Bonaire and Aaron Ordi's last game was the same game. Uh, right, it was a sixteen-nine okay. loss to Wales oh. in twenty twelve. Oh, the Dan Lydia Grand Slam game. Mm. Ah. The last time I read them played for France. Right. Um, this is going to be too much of a rabbit hole. I've all together very quickly. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I can quickly divert to, I mentioned Courtney Hill's going to the gym a minute ago, and I think the, the best segue is to send it over to James Haskell coming onto the pitch. So there's James Haskell runs onto the pitch, you know, looking massive and looking banterific and whatever it is that, that he looks. And the commentators on Maori TV start talking about, oh, here he is, here's the big man, you know, he's going to make a real difference. He's going to he's going to start battering them about, you know, he's a big man. And then first clear out, he's completely ineffective. I do wonder if he was saying to them, you know, oh, I'm used to clearing out uh, men who are much bigger and stronger than you, um, you know, but uh, I'll, I'll deal with this uh, in that kind of banterific way that he does. He has that, um, you know, um, Obviously, you know I'm a big fan, but um, yes, he's um, <laughs> only fan. He has <laughs> he has that um, he has that Pierre Spies thing going on. Haskell, mm. he passes the eye test to such an extent 
that people lose critical faculty in analysing what he actually does. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Nobody actually goes, yeah, but he's just, he's just at best all right, isn't he? And- because he is so massive and committed and fit and all that stuff. You know, the kind of stuff that they used to talk about, I don't know, a fucking cement mixer or something, <laughs> becomes becomes something mm. that's so incredible. They're doing it about Tom Curry now, aren't they? Always, always in your eye line. What, like my dado rail? Oh, I mean, I don't, <laughs> what, what, is, what is it you what, what is it you're trying to say? You know, it's kind of, I'm not, again, they're not bad players, right? I mean, I've got other issues mm. to Haskell, but of course he was a perfectly competent professional forward who, who deserved international caps. And he had a very good 2016, didn't he? Mm. But the 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 over the expectation of it because he was strong and a bit quick, I suppose. Is that what it was? Yeah, I, I, Plus, don't, know. I, I don't think big, he had that brand thing. He wasn't stupid. Exactly. He knew how yeah. to sell himself and he passed yeah. the eye test. Yeah. And so he became a big enough name that the casual observer really latched onto him. And as you mm. say, there's this weird thing of him being so good against Australian in that 2016, that that year, that it kind of almost makes it difficult to make broad sweeping statements about yeah. his career because mm. he genuinely had one really good year in the middle of it did, um, yeah. and then tailed off a bit, but, and, you know, and had, had issues beforehand, but it's, it, it complicates things. But I like yeah. my now main memory of James Haskell as a player, uh, ironically or fitting, I suppose, no, is not something he did on the pitch. It's, I remember talking, I don't think I've told this story in here before, but I remember talking to someone like a, a week or two after the World Cup final in 2019 at a at a poetry night, because, you know, those are the circles I mix in, uh, in Birmingham. Uh, and someone... Oh you so know, what was knowing, the banter level like there? Robert? Oh, oh, you couldn't believe it. Did James Haskell turn up to this poetry night? James was Haskell it? turned up and read conversations he'd had with women on Instagram. Yeah. It was beat <laughs> banter. Hashtag beat banter. That sounds like something very different. Um, I put my dog on a lead when I want to. You don't tell me. Are you are you free for the next time we do? Next time what happens? <laughs> Any chance? Do him over Zoom. I'm there. Yeah. Oh, come along. Come along. Um, I was talking to someone there who asked, you know, like, oh, how had the you know World Cup final gone or whatever, knowing you know I'd been in Japan and so on. And I said, oh, England lost the final South Africa. And their first comment was South Africa. You know, that's a bit embarrassing. It would have been okay if it was someone like Canada or like <laughs> Ireland, which I, I enjoyed as a throwaway comment. Um, <laughs> what I love then, about that mm-hmm. is that no matter what team it is, whether it's South Africa or whoever, they're saying, oh, no, a couple of people lost that won- game to the team who won the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, the, that's the embarrassing bit. But then he asked me, was James Haskell playing? And I said, no. And he said, well, of course they lost then. And (laughs) that was, I think, the level of rugby understanding for a lot of people. You know, they had like three players whose names they knew and Haskell was one of them. And he just got kind of caught up in this whole thing through his brand stuff. I mean, it's, you know, a a part of me admires him. Mm. It's a part of me that I despise. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's a part. It's a part. Of, I, I am. It's still. But still, it's a part of me. Therefore, I have to accept it. You know, you, you have to hats off to him. He did have a strategy, mm, and yeah. he worked hard. He, he clearly worked hard physically and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, but it, it all comes back to Will's point. The commentary. Everybody buys drinks the Kool Aid on it, don't they? Yeah. His physical specimens come into rock your world, yeah. and then he falls off the first rope. You know? <laughs> yeah, he's very large and possesses the bants, uh, I believe is the correct 
uh, rugby specific term for it, yeah. a coaching term. Um, mm. Also, here's the thing: I've not thought about this before. Now, how do you think Martin Johnson responded to all of that bants in the camp? Oh, I bet he just didn't listen. I bet he just mm. got on with it. Or he, you know, he's the sort. Of, he would say in one of those interviews of like, "Yes, uh, James is obviously uh, a very funny man," and then we'd move along. I get a see. I get a well. I mean, you've probably covered the ridiculousness of Johnson in other episodes. So I don't. I don't know. Or not so much him himself. The appointment of, of Johnson, mm. and given his lack of experience, I don't know how he was dealing with because he used to be the captain, didn't he? Mm, and everything. Yeah. And he played with world class players at the time. So a lot of him, when he was a captain, he'd just say, "Don't worry about it, lads. Just keep doing what you're doing, and I'm going to win this." And if that was his plan. That's why we got what we got in, in, in many ways. Yeah. Telling um, Mark Cueto and Toby Flood that. Yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Just keep walking it up, Toby. Straight into him and I'll, <laughs> him and I'll, I'll add an order. Okay, that'll do. But um, I get this like Brian Clough feeling, not in the fact that he's a genius, but the fact that Clough would sometimes just walk around the training ground with his Labrador and then walk off without saying anything. I've got a bit of a feeling about that with Johnson. Do you know what I mean? That actually hmm. was like, he pointed this staff and I'd just come up and say the odd thing, but he probably wasn't close enough to listen to all the nonsense that the it's, hashtag banter that would have been coming out at all things. It's like they appointed the Brian Clough statue in Nottingham as their <laughs> yes. manager. They wanted the kind of the kind of sort of talisman figure without any of the talent yeah. to a leading of people, you know. Which sounds terrible because Johnson obviously did a brilliant job as a captain, but mm. they're very different jobs, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was on the episode we did with Nick Heath where he talked a lot about, uh, you know, the rumours he was demoted during mm. the during the World Cup and they gave him less responsibility and they stopped putting the other coaches in charge and yeah. so on. And he was more there as a motivator and team manager rather than, you know, actually being the head coach as he was paid for and appointed nice. as. Became a mascot. Yeah, exactly. He was Ruckley. He was in the du- Ruckley of his day. <laughs> Ruckley in, in double pleats trousers. <laughs> Now there's an if there's a fan fiction I want to write. So, hang on, are we suggesting that the England coach in this World Cup was not their mercurial World Cup winning captain, but perhaps two boys in a suit <laughs> on top of each other, on each other's shoulders, doing a dog bark? Yeah, one of yeah. those children was George Ford. <laughs> <laughs> they just brought. That was that was why they were so terrible in the second half. They'd just seen their head coach split himself in half like a worm <laughs> and then start flexing topless as an underage boy. I'm just imagining the team talk when they huddle them together and Lewis Moody just kind of goes, well, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. <laughs> he just unzips himself down the middle, like straight across his nose. Lads, I don't know what to do about this. I often, I often see there's like rugby players that are a bit like Box of the Horse from Animal Farm. You know, his solution to everything was, I will work harder. Yes. That's Lewis Moody's caption. I'll just work harder. I'll just run after more kickoffs and I'll get more blood on my face and just, you know, that'll sort it all out. Won't it, lads? You believe me, don't you, lads? You believe me, don't you? It's just, no. No, Lewis. No, but we've just found out that Martin Johnson was actually, this was how Owen Farrell and George Ford formed their partnership. I was just about to say that when they say they've been through a lot together, yeah, you think this is what it really is, but they could never say it's because they were they had to be Rockley and somehow it's be Martin Johnson dressed up in double pleat trousers, a pantomime workhorse, amazing. There you are. There's I'm just problem. liking the thought that somebody just passed George Ford, knowing Farrell and NDA, just saying like, no one can ever know about this by the X factor. Nobody's allowed to say what actually happens. 
in the process. <laughs> Except Jedward. We need Jedward to immediately do an exclusive scoop on Owen Fowl and George Ford stacking on each other's shoulders and pretending to be Martin Johnson. That bloke who won the, well, the first X Factor then was erased from history, like something on the Kremlin Wall was a... He, Steve Bernstein, was it? He, he kept coming out. You're asking the wrong people. I know, yeah, I'm sorry. No, I, think, I, uh... I do know, but I can't possibly comment. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I've lost track of what we're saying that... Well, I've lost track anyway. I've lost I... track of what we're... <laughs> so, so would George Ford... Are we saying George Ford and Owen Farrell as children were made, were Ruckley or were actually Martin Johnson in this tournament? I, I'm, I, I'm, I think we're sure. somewhere in the middle of the two. <laughs> I think they're the same person. I mean, this Ruckley... Fiction writes itself, doesn't it? We've we've, been, we've done this before, but this really does write itself. It's so easy. It's a great sequel to the Deacon Marnie fan fiction. Um, <laughs> yeah, that people have been sending in. Do we have anything else? Or should we move on to Man of the Match and Dick of the Day? I mean, I mean, we've got we've got a drop goal and a try to, to cover. Oh left. yeah, okay, yeah. Francois cool. Tranduk dro- <laughs> scores a drop I goal. England did competent things. Yeah, yeah. Francois Tranduk dropped into the pocket, and I weirdly didn't expect it, and I just kind of thought, oh, fair play, he struck that quite well. Yeah. It's a proper moment of just having a competent fly half working. Yeah. And yeah. again, you'd have thought France could take the lesson from that isn't what a great impact sub, but we should have a fly half. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ben Young's learned a lot from that. It's amazing the impact to actually passing to your outside half can have <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a game, isn't it? Particularly when you're, and also being actually within drop goal range and not doing it half cocked from about 50 metres out. Yeah. It's almost like it's easy to score a drop goal if you're closer to the posts, isn't it? And between them as well, yeah. Yeah. It really actually mirrored quite a bit of Johnny Wilkinson's drop goal against mm. France in 2003. Mm. At the same stage, actually. Was it the semi that game? Can't remember. Anyway, that kind of quite quick snap from quite close in. Mm. It was, yeah, so maybe was, maybe Tranduk knew that. And he was like, I'm going to show you bastards. I'll take this game away from you in a, in a way none of you remember, but I will get, take delicious comfort from it. <laughs> I don't think he thinks that deeply, to be fair. Of course, the, the next thing, the, the competent thing that you're on about there, Robbie, mm. um, that England do is... Oh, yeah, competent's a bit of a strong word. Well, they, they go via Matt Banahan, who makes a break, mm. and... He does decently until somebody okay. suggests that he might need to pass. So that Banahan thing, and this happens again with Manu Tulangi in the first half, right? Have you realised the impact defence coaches have had? Because there's a points in which either Manu Tulangi or Matt Banahan have a bit of a run-up and they just go straight. For, it causes so much oh, ca- yes. havoc that no one can even work out how you might approach tackling them. I love that one with Tulangi. Not backwards. Yeah. Tulangi runs in a perfectly straight line and everyone steps out of his way. Mm. But it's just the game's changed so much in 10 years defensively. Yeah. You know, like nowadays, yeah. if you caught well behind the game, I never seen him coming. Him. Yeah. Easily. Whereas this time, which is two French prop, just go, nah, don't fancy it. It's not even quite your man. It's just like, just let him through, lads. Yeah. He's shown me his pass. Maori TV, Maori TV, when Banahan came on, by the way, hmm. he lined up in the sort of 12 channel off a of scrum, I think. Yeah. And they that was when they were literally sort of saying, oh my God. Look how big he! Look at him! He's fourteen feet taller than anybody else in the entire world, and there he is, ready for the ball. It was doing the. It's like you are Maori lads, aren't you? I'm sure you've seen a few <laughs> tall lads in midfield before, surely. It's because you're dressed. He's dressed in white. Is that what makes him stand out more or something? No idea. Not sure. But, and yeah. just like on the Tuolangi thing, I wonder if at this point, you know, after they got knocked out, he was 
wishing that he instead had played for the team, you know, for the two teams he was eligible for, uh, that wasn't behind the scenes a corrupt inside organisation uh, with no forward planning or, you know, like financial stability. You know, because he had a choice of Samoa or England and he really <laughs> picked one that wasn't there. Nice. Um, I botched that joke, but I could see it very clearly in my mind. I like it. Like, like anything Marley Tuolangi had to do involving passing. So Matt Banham makes his break. Yes. Uh, he's pulled to floor by Maxime Medar. And then for some reason, as England ruck over, they get well, they get a quite quick ball. And then Richard Wigglesworth just decides to wait until the entire French team are all back on side before he plays it, which, you know, is an interesting hashtag fair play strategy. <laughs> Rugby values. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Look at this guy. It was it was great sportsmanship for him to make sure that his other team were ready. Yes, I mean that's a gentleman's way. You don't you don't attack when they're disorganised. That's a rugby's different, isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) you know we we see it all the time in tennis where uh, the the opposition guy has turned his back and people just go go for an ace, lads, you know, and just (laughs) just twat it into the other half of the court. But Richard Wigglesworth, he would never. And while he was waiting for that defence to realign, he was brushing up, picking up the cones, (laughs) sweeping the sheds, (laughs) shaking the opposition coach's hand. Lifting people up off the floor. That was the latest one. You see that one last week? No. After a tackle, somebody obviously gives somebody a hand up and like, see, Mm. this is why rugby's different, Steve. You know, if that was football, he literally would have smeared shit in his face while he was sat down there (laughs) when he was on the floor. But no. Bent over and shat in his face. Yeah, literally. He probably dropped his kecks. (laughs) Batman hand still carrying the ball, isn't he? No, Richard Wigglesworth's there. Wigglesworth's there. We're we're getting through this. We're moving at what you could describe as Wigglesworth pace. Uh, yes, yeah. So then Toby Flood gets the ball and he thinks, you know what? I'm going to be creative here, lads. We've got potentially a World Cup semi-final worthy defence in front of me. He's touched up one before. So I'm not. I'm going to do something other than just run directly into them all. I'm going to put a grubber kick in. And you know what? Fair play. Brilliant kick. I mean, you say that. It takes three deflections. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. He could have got from... Uh, don't get me wrong. He could have got from A to B a lot easier. He could have yeah. passed the ball and Cueto would have walked in. I get that. I get that. <laughs> but given he wanted to take the most complicated route from A to B, it was a great kick in the circumstances. It was a kick, yeah. Like, I'll... We'll, we'll... It landed perfectly between the French players. And, I mean, as I say, would have been much easier if he just maybe ran there or passed mm. it or something. Or he did basically anything else. Yeah. But at least he Drop didn't goal. kick it into the stands, you know? And Simon Shaw kind of flies halfway across the pitch to kind of save the ball from going into the in-goal area. And Mark Cueto just rolls around for a little bit. And th- there's a lot of debate about what on earth happened after that. They spend a long time... T- it's the only TMO, so I don't know if, you know, it Steve just a- wanted to chat. Well, but it took a long time. It took a long time to find the right angle. Yeah. They showed one angle which didn't show where the ball was four times before they found the one from the other side. It was incredible. My favourite thing is, after the try is given, the, the, the camera cuts over to Mark Cueto, who throws his arm up, arms up in the air like he's fuming that this is the big World Cup knockout TMO decision that's gone his way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, all right, we're going to give this one, are we, lads? He looked like the way he was moving his. He looked like he was doing this. You won't get this probably. He looks like he was doing the, the oops upside your head dance. Anybody who's old is doing that. He's just sit on the floor and they, that's what he's trying to do with the ball. But it was so obviously down. Mm. But yeah. Steve was just on vibes again, wasn't he? He was just like, <laughs> ah, well. What if everyone hates England? Can I allow yeah. to try then? 
<laughs> exactly. Can I find a way of getting away with not giving this? <laughs> no, don't find the right angle. It's fine. Take as long <laughs> as you need. It was just so. That happened in 2007 as well. It took him about 20 minutes to find the actual angle to see yeah. Puerto's foot in touch. Yeah. People are still searching now, I believe. Speaking of Wigglesworth, you know, trivia question. You might know this. Who was the third scrum, for those listeners out there, who was the third scrum half for England in this in this squad? Joe Simpson. Joe Simpson. You could have given me 500 cap. goes of that and I wouldn't have got it. <laughs> you know, that's the only cap against Georgia in this World Cup. Unbelievable. Yeah. One so, of those just mad World Cup moments that, you know, it's the kind of thing <laughs> when, when ITV do their look backs on great rugby World Cup moments the night before the next tournament, whoo will Joe Simpson's one wonder cap against Georgia <laughs> get an outing again. After the uh, the, the Cueto try goes over and um, uh, Flood horribly misses the conversion and everything, blah, 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 we'll skip over that. Um, the commentators suddenly go, oh, well, it's now a seven point game. And it's we're, we're heavily towards the last play of the game. And they start talking about penalty shootouts as a possibility, <laughs> as though this England team aren't really shit and also in their own 22. Like, as if England are actually going to go the length and score. Yeah, and it's, yeah. <laughs> and when he misses the kick, you kind of go, oh, well, you know, that's that could be a problem for England. So, yeah, that's it. That's the problem for England, <laughs> is the fact that he's just missed that kick. Not, Not the, the past 79 like, minutes. Yeah, total bunch of bloody idiots last 79 minutes, yeah. And then they decide to resolve this. You know, because sometimes you do have it, right, where a team has this valiant effort. It's the, the last minute of the game. You think, right, they're going to give this a good go. But instead, Martin Tualangi just runs into touch. It's incredible, isn't it? The Tualangi's so... I don't think he's worked out what passing is. I don't think he's worked out. It's like a, it's a thing that happens in both directions yet. Yeah. And <laughs> considering the level of chaos he could cause, I sort of get it watching it back in a way. I just, you know, I think in a very 16 year old Welsh fan way, it's, like, it's not that good. He can't pass. Yeah. Um, actually watching it back. Like, oh, and he, he was quite good. Yeah. Um, and maybe he just didn't trust Mark Waiter. <laughs> If he could occasionally let the ball go from his hands, not sure. in a knock-on kind of way, then, you know what? Could have been quite effective, maybe. Which about, I mean, Mar Nonu didn't learn how to pass, didn't know that passing was a thing <laughs> he was about 32. Yeah. Literally. And he had about 50 caps by then. So I was still at 32, he did this thing. Like, a, you know, like a, a baby first realises that's their hands. <laughs> and they kind of look at it. He must have had that kind of moment, Mar. He's fucking hell, I can... Whoa, that's what this thing does. He developed oh, object permanence somewhere <laughs> yeah. around 24. <laughs> like the ball remains existing when it's not in my hands. But again, much, I've always, um, I've got a bit of a thing that I think, I don't think Manitou Lang is as good as people say is. Mm. And and I think a lot of it's born in these games. He has a couple of good runs. Yeah. And then every time he touches the ball, there's this like, and something amazing is going to happen. And actually, no, he just runs into the line and gets tackled, doesn't pass, or like you said, well, legs it into touch for inexplicable reasons. <laughs> so, and I think there's a bit of that, you know, of course, he's a destructive physical presence and all that kind of stuff. But I never think, he, I don't think he really solved a lot of that. No, no. Not no, enough I mean, anyway, after 10 years. Yeah, he's better now. But as you say, it's 10 years. Like you should have. Marnoni became a genuine distributory 12. Like, so they play fly off. Yeah. I mean, and like, that's at a point. And, yeah. And, you know, you watching him in MLR and yeah. how much fun that was just because of 
he was seeing things the other players wouldn't have if be given a freeze frame and like a graph, you know, and like all the possible yeah. options available. And a six-dimensional globe of the pitch. Exactly. Know? Whereas Nonu was getting them straight off the bat, you know, just by the slightest glance. <laughs> yeah, the space is there, lads. Have we tried <laughs> like, over there? Have you noticed there's no one on that wing? Yeah. Um, but yeah. I'm sorry, no, were you about to... Last thing I have to say <laughs> on this match um, before we go to our concluding segments is that the very last play... So England give away a penalty in classic. Like, how else would they bow out of this World Cup other than giving away a stupid, dumb penalty? And then, you know, Dusatois does the thing of, like, taking his time to make sure they're in the last minute. So if they kick for goal, they've got enough time that even if they miss, they, they've still won. And I'm pretty sure... The, the camera goes to Toby Flood. I'm pretty sure he starts pointing his forward saying for them to like start doing like line-out jumps, Danny Brucock style, like to try and block the <laughs> kick from going over. Well, that wasn't outlawed in 2002. I don't understand why Parrot even went for the posts. I don't mean as in, I mean the direction he kicked the ball. I yeah, yeah. It's like, why would you risk it like you're catching it slightly wrong and it not drifting dead? Just, just kick it straight dead. You know what I mean? Like, in parallel with the touchline. Just yeah, Look like you're trying I shan't that one, it. ref, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it's Morgan Parry. You know, he's got form. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Right, shall we move on to our man of the match, dick of the day, bring this thing home? Sure. Um, begin with man of, dick of the day, the start of dick of the day. It feels, okay. like a, it feels like a day to start on dick of the day. Do you want to start, Robbie? Uh, sure, okay. I mean, there's there's one contender... Uh, I don't know if you watched the French anthem through, but as it's going on, you know that classic thing, like when you're singing along to a song on the radio and you get the wrong verse out at the wrong time. Yeah. And you then have to kind of fumble and go, ah, da, 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 and then just stop still for a moment so you can join back in when it gets onto the chorus. Uh, Maxima Moz does that during the national anthem. <laughs> he just, he, he stopped, clearly starts singing the wrong verse or something, realizes what he's doing, stops singing for a bit. Hang on, this isn't the anthem, like, this is moves like Jagger. <laughs> it's 2015 same 2011 same same deal and then continues later on that is a contender you know if you're just getting your national yeah. anthem wrong and having to stop and do like a reverse spin to to prevent it but i mean almost anything england don't do could be a contender also like mike cat for changing into a shirt that seems to have a dalek on it at half time <laughs> threw me a bit but <laughs> It's it's a positive dick of the day because I want to celebrate Chris Ashton tackling Ben Foden. Yes. <laughs> it's a moment I enjoyed so much. I have to commemorate it with an award. Fair and enough. So Chris Ashton is my dick of the day. I think you're objectively correct. Uh, however, I have to give it to Mark Kuwaito for running backwards and and be, like any defence coach would love that, wouldn't they? You know. And I think France didn't have to, you know, he, he saved the French a job, you know, rugby values, you know, made the job a little bit easier. So Mark Quato's my dick of the day. And Lee? Yeah, I think Dylan Hartley for coming on and and making the line out demonstrably worse most of the time. Yeah, it's entirely valid. Hard to argue with. Man of the match, shall I? I mean, Go on. Again, you're just looking through the, the French team sheet. Vincent Clair is really, really good. I then think, though, the French back row is really the, the standout thing. And tempted by Dustoir, tempted by Bonnet, but Emmanuel Aaron Ordeke, for me, who we haven't mentioned, I think, once, maybe in passing, is phenomenal and is everywhere and is hitting yeah. everything and is carrying so hard and makes a couple of breaks yeah. and is just so annoying. So, yeah, the hairy donkey. Uh, also, has a fight with uh, Lewis Deacon. 
At one point off the ball. Yeah, there's a, he just like pulls him out of a mall and the two of them lie on the floor. And Lewis Deacon, it could be a like dick of the day contender moment, uh, tries to swing to hit him off, him off him and just misses him completely several times. And that is some man of the match shit for me. Yeah. Is that, that the bit play? where they're rolling around on the floor, play continues, and Steve Walsh turns around and points at them? Yes. And then just carries on, then goes back to what... It's it not like he kind of goes, yeah, you go on yourselves, lads, I'll be over here. So I think it's... Proper like yeah. school mastery moment. Yeah. For me, I mean, Aurelien Rougerie was great, I thought. I think he, he attacked really well mm. and made some big hits. I think, as you said, Doucetois, I think, was, was everywhere. But for me, Maxime Mermoz. Massive, like, creative dickhead energy. You know, he was always, like, getting in the way of whenever England tried to do anything, Memoz would just really creepily pop up and uh, intercept the ball or whatever. And I think he had a few decent attacks where maybe he could have passed, but he looked good regardless. So Memoz is man of the match for me. I've got a lot of time for Lionel Nale, simply mainly due to the size of his head. <laughs> just, just that in itself is at least the first six of his, six out, of his nine out of ten score. But, yeah, just, again, I think... Him and Pape really just show what having proper international class second rows does for a team in yeah. some ways. But I'll, I'll come back to your first one, Robbie. Actually, I kind of forgotten what magic Vincent Clair could be. Mm-hmm. Just because every time he got the ball, really, what of course he caused five people to run into each other, which is which is brilliant and talk, tackle each other. But actually, every time he got the ball, he did something. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's easy. It's easy. I shouldn't forget because he's one of the all-time top scorers of European rugby and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. So he's kind of my man of the match on LA, yeah. But the back row just goes without saying. Yeah, Deuce yeah. Towards Excellence was just accepted. It almost yeah. stopped being commented on by the end. It was just just so typical of him, really. Mm. He just pops up and does something great every sort of other minute, yeah. uh, if not more frequently than that. Yeah. Does something stand out every other minute. The point I think that, you did you notice how much lower the tackle count was? Yeah. Generally. Is it behind... It didn't look like there were less tackles in the game. It, I'm assuming they've changed the way they count. But I think teams now deliberately go through phases in a way you were kind of looking 10 years ago yeah. to break a team down first phase or second yeah. phase every Well, like time. within the phase you have, you'd think about doing it rather than now. You know, tens will often go, right, next phase I'll call for the ball. Like mm. trying to anticipate how the defence will respond to a, the number eight carrying it in. Like... Attack coaches are so smart to this kind of thing. And that wasn't really something people thought about 10 yeah. years ago, was it? Both teams made 109 tackles, which is a neat mm. stat. Mm. Um, it's not many, though, is it? No. You'd be looking no. at at least, well, 30% more than that on average? Yeah. yeah. If you were to look at, hold on, I have the stats for the England women's game from this. Uh, okay. Um, so in I mean, that com- might be an unfair comparison because they were flying into each other in that game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where oh no okay yeah so 183 to 125 so yeah oh, so okay. dramatically higher that's a massive difference um, and obviously this isn't you know the they'll be even higher in the men's game yeah I just happened to have that one open at the minute yeah um yeah yeah as you really say that was a notably physical game but regardless hmm. that is a marked difference it's a good yeah. point about phasing though you're right actually now I think about it hmm. yeah you know I mean. 11, 13 phases, periods now are fairly typical, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Teams and, set up for it. Teams anticipate they're yeah, going to be playing, yeah, yeah. you know, an extra 
how many other phases. It's amazing. There used to be, as obviously watching back a lot of the, well, all these games, they used to have a thing on the on the little stat sheet at the end of the game saying, um, oh yeah, these are the amount of times that uh, a team has seven plus phases, which is basically on the assumption that they'll be knackered after seven phases. Mm. Uh, whereas now, as you say, like 13, 14 phases is fairly standard for an attacking set. Yeah. So the England-France game from the Six Nations was 129 to 172 tackles. Right, so largely the same as the women's game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but still a huge increase that, yeah. you know, one team was making six, 70-odd more tackles, the other yeah. one still 20 more. Right, wow. That's that's a it very telling yeah. stat. It didn't feel like that watching it, though, was interesting. Mm. It's only when you saw mm. the stats, we got that slow. But then, yeah, yeah anyway, sorry, I forgot. We could, yeah. This is a rabbit hole, I'll stop. We don't that's okay. Time, yeah, no. No, yeah, um, yeah, we covered Dick the Daily Man of the Match, didn't we? That's we did. That, that's all. That's grand. That's wonderful. Okay, well, Lee, thank you very much for for joining us. Got a lot of Where... stuff out of my system. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> how how are you, you feeling now? For that how's, opportunity, yeah. How how's it helped? It it has helped. I think I will. You know, I'll sleep more soundly tonight than I have done in the last decade for. Just simply for having got this out, so thank you very much. <laughs> uh, as a, an alternative to the Patreon thing, we are considering offering this service to England fans on the NHS. <laughs> <laughs> bit, bit of funding. Uh, I happen to be Matt Hancock's cousin, so they're going to offer me offer me a contract doing this, uh, which is grand. There's a bit of satire for you. No, Lee, where can people find you on Twitter, the podcast, etc.? If they were, if they heard this and want, I want more of that. Uh, you, I'm at Blood and Mud on Twitter, or I am Lee at bloodandmud.com if you want to do a long form uh, contact. Or obviously, with, with the Blood and Mud podcast, we're on a cast and all that stuff, and patreon.com slash blood and mud if you want to come and give a bit of support. Mm. Thank um, you, Lee. That, like, I've obviously listened to your podcast for a while as well. So uh, it's great to have you on. I'm pretty sure that everybody who listens to this, we are the second favourite podcast to you. So they probably do all know who you are, but yeah, that's that's fine. I'm happy with that. But no, cheers for coming on, you know, um, massively. Enjoy your work. Yours as well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Lee. Thank you, Will, or whoever you are. Uh, And thank you to everyone for listening. Please join us next time when we will move on to a game that, uh, you know, the last two have been, you know, kind of talking points, controversy, the lot. Uh, The next one should be a pretty quiet one. Uh, It's Australia 11, South Africa 9. I I can only imagine that that would be completely straightforward. No refereeing decisions to talk about. And, you know, we have semi-finals after that, so I'm sure there'll be no refereeing decisions to discuss from them either. I think it's plain sailing from here on out. Really, really straightforward one. I also flipped the scoreline round because I realised I was about to read it as (laughs) 9-11. And that that feels almost... I'm not going to finish that sentence, Um, (laughs) but I'm going to finish this podcast. So, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Please join us to try and... I normally have a policy of not talking about referees, but I don't know if I'm going to manage that next time. Right. Well, we'll see you then. Thank you very much. Good night. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.